If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I have been busy all day getting our, working on our new premiere channel that will probably launch in the next week or two, and um, it's going to be commercial free. It is going to be... The episodes will be available to you a day earlier than everywhere else on the interwebbles. We're going to have that special uh, monthly... Bonus episode. Drunk episode. Well, it'll be a bonus episode. Yeah, but we'll be drunk when we do it, which is kind of cool. I'm not committing to drunk. I'm just committing to bonus. Oh, and also the special super secret uh, insider chat room. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can have direct access to us. And all that will be available sometime in the next uh, week or two. So We're working on it. We're working on it. We've been working diligently on it. Well, I went to the beach today. That's right. I've been but... working diligently on it. <laughs> it is your turn to go first, my love. What do you have? What oh, you got for goodness. me? Okay, okay. So this started off as a story, and then I found an interesting thing. And so then it was a thing in the middle of a story, and then... I discovered that the thing was just about as long as the story. So here is a thing, and we're also a story. So it is the late 17th century, and there is a guy named uh, Daniel Audi, sometimes called Audi, and uh, he moved to the small town of Kirkby, which is located along the river Wisk, a little north of Thirsk. In England, uh, I don't know why I include these tidbits, like uh, locations that are near to locations, none of which I know any of. Uh, I'm just going to say it was in England. Okay. <laughs> so, Audie conducted uh, faking currency. He was a counterfeiter. Oh. So, he built this old farm, and uh, he built a large hidden underground room and installed a 
interesting entryway so that visitors couldn't just like pop into his counterfeiting. It was a secret lair. It really was. I want a secret lair in my basement. Oh, yeah. No, we should definitely have a secret lair. I want like a like a bookcase that moves. Yeah. You know, when you pull down on a particular book, like in the movie. Yeah. Entirely reasonable. I want that. I think we should do that. Even if it just opens up into a large closet where I have a barca lounger. I know what that is. So he named the farm Donati Hall. Now, Audie had a daughter named Elizabeth, and she met a local man named Thomas Busby, and they dug on each other. They ended up getting married, and I guess Audie wasn't crazy about that match. Um, Busby uh, had some personality traits that weren't the most desirable for a son-in-law like he drank a lot yeah and the two ended up uh, moving into um like the living space over a tavern so that really kind of encouraged his drinking <laughs> and it, yeah it was not great soon though Busby and Audie became partners in the counterfeiting business, and that was obviously going to be trying for two dudes who didn't particularly like each other, and uh, one of them being uh, allegedly an alcoholic who made terrible choices. Who lived over a tavern. Right. I mean, they all, both people here had some issues that they were working through. Anyway. This, This is a perfect storm for disaster. It really is. I love where this is going. So the two of them, they're living over this local inn and um, things aren't going great with Busby and Elizabeth. For whatever reason, eventually Audie said, all right, this is enough. He went to go and get Elizabeth, take her from the inn. And she said she wasn't going to leave. She was going to wait for Busby to get home. And he was probably just, uh, you know, tootling about having some beverages. Mm -hmm. So eventually he did um, make his way back to their house and the two men got into quite an argument, Busby and Audie. Audie wanted Elizabeth not to be married to him anymore and Busby was very upset as well. They were big time arguing. Okay, so Audie is like, hey, Busby. I've told you all my secrets and Mm -hmm. I'm extremely vulnerable now because you know all my secrets. Right. I want you to leave my daughter. That seems like a bad decision. Yeah, there was a misstep there for Mm. sure. Uh, A miscalculation. Indeed. In uh, business partnering. Which happens sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we pick terrible, terrible business partners. So at some point, uh, Audie left. He went back to his place. Elizabeth did not go with him. But Busby was still fuming. And he's still drunk. So he's kind of, you know how when you're drunk and you're angry about something, it keeps coming up and you can't just let it go. It's like, can you believe that guy? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. I think it's it's awesome that uh, his name is Busby. Right. It's easy to remember which one has the drinking problem. Right. Mm. So later he walked to Audie's place and bludgeoned him to death with one of his counterfeiting hammers. (laughs) Or strangled him. (laughs) We're not sure. I I don't know. The details are a little. (laughs) The phrase bludgeoned him to death with a counterfeiting hammer. Makes me chuckle. It's terrible. Is that wrong? Yes. 
Did he have like the king's face embossed on his forehead? Oh, because it was a counterfeiting hammer? Yeah. Well, I don't know. He might have been strangled. So we don't have those kinds of details. Probably the counterfeiting hammer, though, yeah. right? I think that's probably why it became a popular story. because uh-huh. he was a counterfeiter. Yeah. And so this is a lot more sexy. Sure. But probably he was just strangled. Probably counterfeiting hammer. Anyway, according to the town folk, uh, which, again, the, a lot of these details are very fuzzy. But Audie obviously did not approve of the marriage, wanted Elizabeth and Busby to break up. But the fight from Busby's perspective was about the fact that Audie had been sitting in his chair. What? Yeah, that's why Busby was pissed, and that's why they were fighting. Was it a barca lounger? No, it was a wooden spoolie spoolie chair. One of them, one of those with the spoolies. Those aren't comfortable at all. I would never keep one of those in my secret basement lair. Busby came home, found Audie and Elizabeth in his home. Audie was sitting in his chair. So Audie was there to fight with Busby about the fact that he was a terrible husband to Elizabeth. But when Busby got home, he saw Audie sitting in his chair and was pissed. Uh, I see. So they were fighting, but for two different reasons. And then Busby killed Audie, allegedly because he had been sitting in his chair. I want you... To leave my daughter now. You're an abusive man. You drink too much. You live over a tavern. You need to leave her now. Oh, yeah? You're sitting in my chair. Where's the counterfeiting hammer? So it happened like kind of like that. Um, That's the, the condensed version. All right. So Busby was arrested and tried and condemned to death. For the murder of his father-in-law. And the story goes, as he was led to his execution, Busby cursed all the people to death who would ever take a seat in his favorite chair. So this is the story of the death chair. The death chair. Yeah. Uh, Want to give a big shout out, by the way, to our Instagram friend, Perfect. Perfect. Like a cat purse. For the heads up about the death chair. Wow, this guy just wouldn't let it go. No, it was intense. Wow. Yeah. Busby was hung. Hanged. Hanged. He was hanged. He was hanged. Cut down, dipped in pitch, and then hanged from a gibbet. What is a gibbet? This is the fun learny thing in the middle of the story. Okay, cool. So, gibbeting. A gibbet is really any instrument of public execution. It could be a guillotine, executioner's block, an impalement stake, hanging gallows. Any of those things can be called a gibbet. So it's a general term that uh, describes a collection of execution devices. Those public execution devices, yes. Gibbets. Gibbet. But gibbeting specifically refers to the use of a gallows-type structure from which the dead or dying bodies of criminals were hung on public display. Gotcha. Okay. Most often, they were hung on public display inside human-shaped cages. I have read about this. I have seen photos of, the, well, not photos, but, you know. Depictions. Depictions, graphic depictions of this sort of thing. 
And sometimes they would put them up there while they were alive. That's right. And just let the birds eat their faces. Yeah. They would die of exposure or starvation. Um, It's terrible. And if you hear the term like hanging in chains, Mm. it's generally referring to gibbeting. It was a very common punishment uh, for a period of time practiced and and very common in England uh, by the Murder Act of 1751, which empowered judges to impose gibbeting for, for the crime of murder. It was most often used for traitors, murderers, highwaymen, or pirates. Also sometimes sheep stealers, but you know. <laughs> so you could... Like you said, sometimes they would be executed and then hung in the gibbet thing, uh, gibbeted, get the, you know, uh, or they would be put in there to die. Either way, it was terrible. Obviously, dying, rotting bodies on public display, hanging in the air, wafting. Mm. Mm. It's worse than one of them black ice car fresheners. Oh, nearly, yes. (laughs) Nearly worse. So, I mean, there's nothing about this that's a good idea. No. It is punishing the town folk. Yes. For the, I mean, it's, but that was the idea is that they thought that this would be a deterrent to crime. Really, it was just a big, uh, expensive, smelly bird feeder. It was terrible. And they found, after uh, some time, crime rates did not drop at all. In fact, being around stinky, rotting, gross body will make you angry and make you more (laughs) likely to lash out at people and commit assaults. So it's not a good idea. In fact, the sight and smell of decaying corpses was offensive, obviously, and regarded as uh, a word that I can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was considered a threat to public health. As well it should have been. Well, yeah. It's decaying flesh in the town square. It's almost as bad as a children's concert. That makes me really angry. Oh. In some cases, there I mean, there's some variations to how this whole situation can go down. In some cases, uh, the bodies would be left until their clothes rotted off. And that's how they'd know, ah. oh, it's it's been long enough, them <laughs> in that weird body-shaped cage. It's time to take them down. Most of the time, it was just until the bodies had completely decomposed and it was just a skeleton. And then, like, of course... The cages weren't made for skeletons, so little bits would start falling out. And <laughs> I mean, people get mad at me because I don't take my Christmas lights down early enough. Mm-hmm. In the case of drawing and quartering, which, you know, happened, sometimes they'd just jam the body parts into the cage and it would just be the, the leg parts of the human-shaped cage filled with chunks of body just hanging. Yeah. Good times. Clumpy and mm-hmm. congealing mm-hmm. and all the things that happen. And, you know, there's bugs and... Uh, so that the public display of the rotting corpses might be prolonged, bodies were sometimes coated in tar or bound in chains. And that's why it's called hanging in chains. And that's why... That's why Busby was coated in, yeah. in tar. What 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 about the death chair? So the uh, execution happened, and the inn right next door was renamed the Busby Stoop Inn. And the owner of the inn, 
who uh, was very excited about the opportunity to be making some extra money here, told everyone about the chair and said, hey, this is now an attraction. This is a murder chair. And if you believe the legend and the guy that owned this inn, uh, the chair took the lives of a great many people. And some believe that's that number is 63. The chair killed 63 people. That's right. A lot of those people who sat in the chair were also uh, in World War II. So you <laughs> maybe other things yeah, killed them. Sure. But um, take this into account. There was a young builder apprentice who died after his workmates dared him to sit in the chair, and then he fell off the roof. There was a delivery man who uh, sat in the chair. He died in a car crash when he left the inn. There was a chimney sweep who sat in the inn one evening, and then when he was leaving the inn, people were like, bye, and he was like, bye, whatever. But then the next morning, they found him hanging from one of the gateposts right in front of the inn. Super creepy-like. Wow, like by his neck? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, my God. In the 1970s, the landlord of the inn grew weary of the legend and the deaths associated with the chair and moved, in, moved the chair into the cellar, someone not knowing about the history of the chair sat in it and then was killed but the uh, landlord had enough and so he donated the chair to a local museum and he instructed them to hang it high on a wall so that no one could sit in it so it is still hanging in a museum up on the wall you're not allowed to sit in it but a furniture historian examined the chair and found that it had machine-turned spindles uh, whereas the 18th century chairs were made using a pole lath so he dated the chair uh, to about 130 years after busby's execution so somehow the death uh-huh. chair made its way out it's on the loose it's on the loose you don't know it's uh, killer furniture you don't know bloodthirsty home furnishings if you will it could be your chair bum, bum, bum. it very well could Oh, yeah. No, that's the point. That's why I brought this up. I think that's that chair. You think that this chair that I found at a yard sale is the death chair? It could very well be. I do. Um, And eventually, one of us will die. (laughs) It will just be proven to be true. (laughs) There's a reason you didn't hear this at the start of the podcast. This is That Thing in the Middle. Famous people can be weird just like us. Here's a list of famous people with some quirks. Number five. Mark Zuckerberg will only eat meat from animals that he's killed himself. I think that's legit. I I think that that's admirable, actually. Number four. Ronald Reagan liked to touch the earlobes of his friends and family. That was never explained why. Number three. President John Quincy Adams took a naked bath in the Potomac at 5 a.m. every day. I'm glad currently our lawmakers don't do this. Number two. Bill Gates used to keep track of employee license plate numbers in his head. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. That's I love it. That's completely in character for Bill Gates. We couldn't even think of your license plate number when we were checking into the hotel the other day. No, that was by design. I'm running from the law. And number one, Ulysses S. Grant was extremely sensitive and would not let others see him naked. I mean, I generally don't let others see me naked That either. doesn't seem quirky to me at all. No, that seems totally normal. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, 
if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. The only podcast you're listening to at this exact moment. Don't think we don't notice things like that. This is The Box of Oddities. So we got an email from Dia, and I intercepted it before uh, you had a chance to see it so I could do this story. Sure, I do that all the time. It's fair game. And basically, she just said, this is horrific. Can you find out more? And so I did. You know, oftentimes we do stories, many times, in fact, they're um, historical in nature, Mm -hmm. like the train crash thing that I did last episode that happened in 1918. This is something that's happening right now. Oh, my. Biological Resource Center. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. You saw this. Of course I did. Now, I'm getting my information from uh, Arizona Central as well as uh, the Arizona Republic, 
which is the morning paper in Phoenix. The Biological Resource Center, it's a, a, a for, well, it was a for-profit body donation company. And they would basically accept donations of bodies. People would die and the families would donate the bodies uh, because the, the company would, um, they would harvest certain organs and body parts for, quote, medical research mm -hmm. and then cremate the remains and give them back to the um the family yeah no you donate your body to science there's a there's something to be said for that yeah absolutely if grandma died they would come and pick her up and take her to the facility and they would harvest any organs that they think might be helpful for research purposes not transplant but research purposes then they would cremate the remains and bring them back to the family that was the idea anyway and one of the many problems was that families thought that the body donation meant that uh their loved ones' bodies were, were being given to a charity to help with disease research. That was the impression that most mm -hmm. of them were, were left with. They thought that the Biological Resource Center would be donating the loved one's organs um, for something of that nature. What they weren't aware of was that uh, the company was often dismembering and selling various body parts. Here's a price list for you that they had. Okay. In 2013, the price list, and this is part of the uh, court file, indicates the sale prices for various body parts. You want to buy a whole body with no shoulders or a head? That's going for $2,900. A torso with no head, that's uh, $2,400. The whole spine, $950. A whole leg, $1,100. A whole foot, $450. A knee is $375. And a pelvis is $400. Now, all of this is part of evidence that was cited in a nationwide investigation into Biological Resource Center and other various out-of-state facilities in Michigan, in Nevada. And they were concerned about how the bodies of the donors were, were being handled and if their intended purposes were being followed through on. Mm -hmm. Also, are they properly screening for infectious disease? Sure, that's very important when you're dealing with human remains. Apparently, the answer was no. In January of 2014, investigators in those uh, you know hazmat suits just showed up at the facility and started removing body bags. Now, these body bags didn't just have bodies in them, but some bags were just stuffed with heads. Others were limbs, various body parts. Uh, this was all part of a joint FBI Arizona Attorney General's Office raid on the company, the Biological Resource Center. Now, I have a quick question. Who are some of the legit clients of the Biological Resource Center? Like, what kind of company or a, or a business or a person needs a knee or a spine? Well, the idea was that they were sell they were going to be selling them to um, medical research facilities, sometimes universities for. Um, educational purposes okay sometimes they would sell them for plastinization okay see this makes sense all right 
So after the uh, company was raided in January of 2014, in April of that year, the Maricopa County Department of Public Health issued warnings to 25 of the employees at the Biological Resource Center. They said, hey, you know what? You should go get tested for like HIV and hepatitis and tuberculosis because you probably have been exposed to, quote, blood and body tissue of infected cadavers. Yeah. That's when the Center for Disease Control and Prevention jumped in. You know, that got their attention. Sure. For sure. They started investigating reports of uh, the exposure to those diseases. Most of those workers were involved in performing the dissection procedures and the preparation of the bodies. This whole body donation thing is a burgeoning business. It profits by soliciting donated tissue and organs for uh, a fee. And like you were asking before, it goes to uh, not just research facilities, but drug firms, uh, medical device manufacturers, Mm -hmm. universities and hospitals. That makes perfect sense, because if you're making, let's say, an artificial knee for someone, you want to have some knees kicking around so that you can look at what they should look like. And so basically, the donors are just looking for the the cost of their burials or cremations to be to be covered, as well as maybe helping medical science. Now, the companies that broker tissue and organs for transplant into living patients are very highly and strictly regulated. Mm -hmm. Right, because body parts are going into other people. Yes, that is not the same level of regulation that these types of, uh, of, of companies were subjected to, at least at this point. This Biological Resource Center, um, in one of the news reports that I watched about it, was referred to as more of a chop shop. Yeah, it's exactly what it was. Now, many states have uh, very strict laws and uh, complicated oversight procedures, like New York is like one of the strictest. Arizona had no such requirements. Oh. A woman named Joyce Gingrich, her mom passed away January 17th of 2014 the biological resource center arranged for the uh, body to be picked up and transported back to their facilities and the um, body parts were harvested and Gingrich said that her mom whose name was Adeline uh, suffered from Alzheimer's disease and she was hoping that the research that they could do would help patients who have Alzheimer's disease Unfortunately, the body's donation was made about four days before the, uh, the raid mm-hmm. on, on the labs. So four weeks after her mom's death, a uh, employee from the company shows up at her house with the cremated remains of her mom. And she asked the person what had been done with the tissues that were harvested. And the man told her, quote, we believe most of our tissue rotted. What? Yeah. And then Ms. Gingrich went on to say it was understanding they seized all the tissues at the lab, including my mom's remains. It's my belief things were destroyed or allowed to deteriorate. So that's pretty horrifying. So that was just a result of the investigation going on 
at the lab? I think it was a combination of things. There just did not seem to be practices put in place Mm. that would prevent this from happening. And then, of course, when the raid happened, then everything completely shut down. Still probably not what you tell a grieving child when you deliver their mom's ashes. No. Hey, yeah, your mom. Probably just rotted away. Probably just rotted away. Yeah, smelled real bad. A statement on the facility's website said staff uh, cooperated with authorities. They said, quote, this lack of information has led many to speculate and to make incorrect conclusions, said the founder and owner of the company, who, by the, na- by the way, his name was Stephen Gore. Oh, my. He said, we hope to know more within the next coming days and weeks, at which time we'll provide additional information. Now, that was, of course, in 2014. Many of the local members of the media tried to get a hold of this guy, and uh, yeah, surprisingly, he did not return their call. Return their calls. Oh, you became New Yorkian I, all, of all of a sudden. Calls. He did not return their calls. Gore was sentenced to four years of probation and a deferred sentence of one year in jail, which he did not serve because of good behavior. Uh-huh. Thirty-three plaintiffs have sued the Biological Resource Center. Uh, Of course, they're saying that uh, their family members' remains were obtained fraudulently. Uh, False statements were made. The body parts were sold for profit. They were not stored or treated or disposed of with dignity and respect. No, and that's the thing that I was reading about and the thing that most of the headlines are focused on is like, trash bags full of heads yep that's where we're going this case is set for trial on october 21st of this year 2019 in maricopa county superior court an fbi agent during the january 2014 raid on the biological resource center uh stumbled on what he described as quote various unsettling scenes he's uh, an eyewitness to some pretty grisly stuff And this was all just recently revealed in a civil lawsuit against the business and its owners in a declaration contained in that civil lawsuit court file, which is the subject of the article that came out this past week. Mm -hmm. Former Phoenix FBI Special Agent Mark Quiner said he observed, personally observed, various unsettling scenes like um, body parts piled on top of one another, No apparent identification to indicate what bodies they came from or to whom they belonged. Uh, He said he saw a cooler filled with male genitalia. Yeah. 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 Just an igloo cooler full of dicks. That's, yeah. That was the headline that I saw first was something along the lines of investigators, research, lab, find cooler full of penises. Yep. He also said he saw a large torso with the head removed and replaced with a smaller head sewn together in kind of like a Frankenstein manner. What possible reason could that have happened? Looks weird, right? Yeah. I bet that's exactly what spurred that. That looks weird, right? Yeah, let's do that. Just kind of a a slow night at the uh, lab and they thought, hey, let's see if this works. Yeah, I mean, if you've got all those body parts around and... Not a lot going on. Hmm. The FBI agent said that he saw large male torsos with limbs and genitalia removed, buckets and coolers filled with various body parts, including a bucket of heads, bucket of arms, and a bucket of legs. 
I mean, I appreciate the wanting to group them together. Um, that's how I separated the candy at our wedding, was sure, by yeah. color and type. Uh-huh. Because you have that organizational um, mind. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty. Maybe not with limbs. <laughs> or penises. Yeah. In a, in a no, there's no. Yeah. there's no way that you could stack that to make it look nice. Maybe if you had like um, some training in floral arrangements... You could organize that bucket full of penises in something that was aesthetically pleasing. I don't believe so. So as I said, the the court date is the 21st of October of this year. Now, in 2014, because of this event, guidelines and oversights and laws were put into place for these types of organizations. But as of uh, this episode, none of them are being enforced. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. That's one of the things that I was learning about while watching an episode of last week tonight with John Oliver. Mm -hmm. He was talking about the difference between two different types of autopsy groups. Like there's the state people that do it and then the... I saw this. Did you? I saw this with you. And I wish that I could make the words happen because it was shocking. The people who have the ability to dissect and autopsy your loved ones may have no training, Mm -hmm. no, no qualifications at all. They might just be people who are interested in doing so. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And uh, part of the interview that they did with one of these companies they showed the, quote, autopsy room, and they were like empty Mountain Dew bottles on the yeah. table, on the autopsy table, and yeah. a cat box in the corner. And It yeah. was real upsetting. So there obviously need to be some greater regulations, but I think that's an arena that not a lot of people are introduced to. Mm. So we don't know about these problems because I don't spend a lot of time in the what happens after a body goes away forums i just <laughs> and it goes s- away and then it's that's, <laughs> that's that. that yeah enjoy your day well hopefully as the story continues to develop and these things come to life there will be more regulations and laws that will not only be passed but enforced and uh that's what i have for you dia it's terrible as i was reading the accounts of the investigators who had gone on and just found bags full of bits yep it's just it's yep. tremendous and i can't even imagine not like being a family member who you don't know where your family your loved ones parts are yeah or what they were used for yeah yeah in 2014 there were uh, as many as 10 companies similar to this in arizona alone mm. now there are four so And it's assumed that they are abiding by these new regulations, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, is there such a thing as a body parts resource center regulation squad? There should be. There should be. Yeah. Let's start one. Ooh. I have to move on. This is depressing. It's terrible. Let's move on from body parts to our live shows. Uh, The tickets are on sale for for the live shows. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, Boston, Charlotte, and Nashville. They're going fast, and uh, we would love to see you there. We also found out we're going to be in Orlando next month 
for a podcast convention. So expect me to be talking a lot about the foods I will eat at Epcot. I'm going to have some of that fried cauliflower from the Moroccan stand. Yeah. If they still have it. I'm having a German pretzel for surezies. Mm-hmm. That uh, delicious flaky thing I got at... Lefsa? You had the Lefsa. Lefsa. I didn't have the Lefsa. I had like a... I had basically a delicious flaky pastry filled with cream and fruit. It was the oh, most yeah, yeah, yeah. wonderful yeah. thing. We ate our way around the uh, World Showcase. Yeah. But I feel like we didn't do it in a focused manner, and this time should be more focused, right. and I plan on eating at every country. I would imagine that uh, a spreadsheet will be involved. Oh, you know it. It will be color-coded. There will be tabs. Anyway, back to the live shows. Tickets are available at theboxofoddities.com. And this silly podcast that we do lands on your phone a couple of times a week. And we're looking forward to seeing you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus... Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.